Welcome to Qualgen's podcast, where we talk about all things health and wellness related, including hormones, pharmaceuticals, health trends, and ways you can help better your life. Hi, everyone. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen in. Today, I am talking with Dr. Kenneth Seekine. Dr. Seekine has practiced in the medical specialty of obstetrics, gynecology, and infertility in the Jacksonville area since 1982. Dr. Seekine, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. What made you decide to be an OBGYN provider? Well, that goes back to uh, medical school and decision uh, residency days. And, you know, in medical school, you tend to rotate through different specialties. And I liked medicine. I liked surgery. And I had this real uh, mystique about babies, uh, delivering babies and taking care of women. So OBGYN really turned out to be the one that covered all those bases. And um, I felt that I would be uh, less bored with uh, the same thing every day uh, in any other specialty. (laughs) Oh, that makes sense then. I'm just going to ask you some random questions about women's health today. So first, I want to ask you about perimenopause and menopause. Can you explain the difference between the two? Well, there's a thin line. I think the word perimenopause is is kind of a fabricated title of uh, certain symptoms that happen in a woman's life as she's getting older. Menopause, by definition, is a woman not having her menstrual period for a whole year. The other thing that goes along with the menopause is what we call climacteric, which is the symptoms of menopause. So that would be what everybody knows as hot flashes and night sweats and not being able to sleep well and just having anxiety and uh, sexual drive tends to decrease. The perimenopause, some of those symptoms can be there, but a woman is still having her periods. And uh, when we actually check the hormone levels in menopause, there's a certain hormone we look at called follicle stimulating hormone or FSH. And if that number is very abnormal, then that kind of objectively defines menopause. If we have a woman that has a relatively normal FSH, but has some of those symptoms uh, and typically perimenopausal patients will say, I don't have it all the time. I'll have periodic hot flashes or night sweats, but Uh, That happened a few months ago, and it's not happening now. So I usually encourage them Mm -hmm. to just kind of keep a watch on it. And I reassure them, or I assure them, that with time, uh, those symptoms will come back and stay. So basically, the perimenopause is the start of the hormone imbalance that comes with menopause. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. I think from an objective standpoint, uh, there can be, you know, ups and downs and fluctuations of the hormones that would give periodic symptoms of menopause, but they're not consistent. Mm -hmm. And what treatments do you utilize for your menopausal patients? Well, once we determine that a woman is truly menopausal and the first part of that determination are the symptoms that they come in with, and as Mm -hmm. I mentioned, we get some uh, blood work to look at hormone levels, then the gold standard to treat menopausal symptoms is replacing those hormones. Mm -hmm. Because um, as I tell my patients, I think the master plan is flawed that women have outlived their ovaries by about a third of their life. So when the ovaries quit working, they're not producing the hormones that they need. We call the sex hormones. 
to keep them comfortable uh, from those menopausal symptoms. So the only way to to truly treat those symptoms is to give them those hormones replaced. Mm -hmm. And what hormone treatments do you recommend in your practice? Well, I've been doing gynecology, obstetrics and gynecology, but now just gynecology. But I've been in the specialty for 40 years. And up until about 10 years ago, um, I was using the traditional conventional hormonal replacement, which was anything from uh, pills to patches. And I learned about bioidentical hormones probably 10 years ago. But I had heard about them during residency because where they began was at the University of Georgia. And um, they've been around since 1939. Mm-hmm. But these are in the form of pellets. And uh, I started using them back probably seven or eight years ago. And I have not strayed from using those ever since because the response of patients has been just short of miraculous. Absolutely. So moving on from menopause, how important are annual checkups and what is the purpose of checkups? Well, annual checkups are truly for preventative reasons. Many women and men, I think more so men, but uh, people wait until they have symptoms of something and then they, in the modern day, Google it, come into my <laughs> office and tell me everything that they think they have. In fact, I have a cup on my desk that says, please don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. <laughs> but the, um, I think it's, it's for, for preventative reasons. Um, mm-hmm. There, over the years, I've discovered things that were not symptomatic and were able to nip them in the bud, whether they be non-cancerous or even cancerous that was that were caught early enough to be able to, to cure the problem. Mm-hmm. And what about like the pap test? Because even I have no idea what it is or what it tests were. So can you explain that? Well, the pap test is something that Probably started back in the 40s by a Dr. Papa Nicolau. That's where the name came oh. from. So PAP um, refers to taking cells from the cervix, which is a painless procedure, specifically looking for precancer and cancer cells. We have discovered probably in the last 10 to 15 years that a human papillomavirus or HPV is the absolute cause of cervical cancer. Uh, The way to determine precancer cells and even cancer cells is to do a pap test. Mm -hmm. And we usually start them around 21 years old, and then we stop doing them about 65 years old. We pick up many, many precancer changes of the cervix, which we can treat and avoid anything progressing to cancer. Absolutely. And what about mammograms? What is the purpose of a mammogram and when should a woman start getting those? Well, mammograms are basically an x-ray of the breast tissue. The purpose is, again, to determine breast cancer. Um, Probably one in eight or even more than that, women will develop breast cancer. It's recommended to start at 40. And unless there's a strong family history or there has been some physical changes in the in the breast tissue earlier than 40 and we're concerned, then we start doing more uh, diagnostic testing. But mm-hmm. the mammogram is something that Again, if we pick it up early, we can cure the breast cancer. If I've seen women who haven't had mammograms in years that come in with very advanced breast cancer, which could have been avoided if they had their mammograms. And why is the age 40? Is there something that 
changes up until then that would cause that difference? What? Why is it 40? <laughs> well, we used to think that, you know, most women under 40 don't get breast cancer. And I think that's mm-hmm. still true that most women, most women under 40 don't get breast cancer. But I've seen women in their mid to late 30s who have who have breast cancer, mm-hmm. uh, no family history, and no underlying reason why they would have developed it. So I think just from a statistical standpoint, uh, starting at 40 is where we feel we have the best chance of picking up early stages of breast cancer. We know that breast cancer cells are in the breast for 10 years prior to them being diagnosed. Wow. So the earliest way to diagnose a breast cancer is not just with self-breast exam, because by the time the tumor is palpable, it's, it's been there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been many a breast cancer that's been found just by the mammogram showing some calcification changes of the breast tissue. And then a biopsy is done and it turns out to be breast cancer. Interesting. That's a long time for a cell to stay in there. Yes. Wow. What about cervical cancer? Are there anything that actually causes cervical cancer? Is it just... Well, it's cervical cancer is, is, has been classified as a sexually transmitted disease because it is, it is caused by HPV. Mm-hmm. Uh, human papillomavirus. We know that HPV has uh, infiltrated the population probably 85 to 90%. So when we do a pap smear and we see that there's some minimal abnormal changes, then they automatically do an HPV test on that smear, on, on those cells. Mm-hmm. And uh, if the cells say that it's they see what they call high-risk HPV changes, then we keep a close watch on that because there's a possibility that those that pap smear the next time in three months, six months, a year could become precancer cells of the cervix. So the H, and I'm sure you're aware of the HPV vaccine that has come into existence and we're recommending that you know, kids eight years old to 26 years old get the vaccine. And I think they've even extended it past 26 years old. I think the 26 year cutoff was because that's what the insurance companies would pay up until. But yeah, but they have now extended it past that. Interesting. And how common is it for a woman to have irregular cycles? Well, uh, you know, it just depends on what the reason for the irregular cycles are. Mm-hmm. And there are quite a few different reasons. You know, what we do to evaluate that is is to find out, you know, what when they started, how old they were when they started having periods. Uh, was it irregular from the beginning or were they regular up until a certain age and then they became irregular? So, you know, the reproductive system in the female is extremely sensitive to stress on the body. Uh, mm-hmm. So a woman who gains more than 10% of her ideal body weight or a woman who loses more than 10% of her ideal body weight or a woman who is, you know, emotionally and psychologically stressed, all these things can have an influence on their menstrual cycle and on their periods. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the number one reason why a woman stops having periods would be pregnancy, you mm-hmm. know, unless they're, they've had their tubes tied, but then you can still possibly get pregnant. Right. Uh, but you know, any stress on the body is going to cause the reproductive system to uh, to be affected. Absolutely. This is kind of going towards the fertility with hormones. With using hormone treatments, does that affect fertility at all? Well, women who are in the fertile years are 
not usually going to be getting hormonal replacement mm-hmm. because their ovaries are usually working. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if I've been asked if a person has been on birth control pills for years, uh, will it affect their ability to get pregnant? Usually, once they're on birth control pills and their cycles are normal, they often forget what their cycles were like what before they went on the birth control pills. So many mm-hmm. women go on birth control pills or hormones to control and regulate their cycles because they're not ovulating every month, which would cause them to have normal cycles. Once they stop the birth control pills, their body reverts back to the way it was before they ever went on the birth control pills. And if they weren't having normal periods, they're likely not to have, again, have normal periods. And just to answer the fertility part of it, one of the things that kind of tip us off to infertility, the first question we ask is, uh, you know, are your periods normal off the birth control pills? Because Mm -hmm. in order to have a normal period, a woman has to ovulate. And if she doesn't ovulate every month, then she's going to miss periods or she's going to have irregular periods. And that's the first tip off to us that there might be something not right with their fertility. Absolutely. Well, that makes so much sense. (laughs) And how important is it to be completely honest and open with your doctor? Well, you know, I think if you want the right answers and you want the right treatment, we have to know about it. You know, I I see patients who come in that um, have a discharge and it's bothersome to them and, you know, they're they're reluctant to tell me they have a new partner or they have more than one partner or, you know, that their partner told them that they had to go to the doctor because they had some type of infection. So, you know, our hands are tied unless we have all the pieces to the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there anything else you would like to add? No, I just think, you know, going back to your question about routine um, physical exams and mammograms, mm-hmm. pap smears, that how important it is. I always tell my young patients that the hardest thing, the easiest thing to learn is an uncomfortable examination. And the hardest thing to unlearn is an uncomfortable examination. So if I've seen young women who have had a traumatic experience with their first exam, I have to really work hard to get their confidence and show them that It's not everybody doesn't do the exam kind of way that they had it the first time. But I think routine, you know, making sure that you pay attention to uh, don't wait until there's uh, a signal that something may be wrong. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you again for joining me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like it's very educational and things that I learned a lot today. <laughs> For more information on Dr. Seekine, please visit srbobgyn.com. And thank you everyone for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media to stay up to date on Qualgen. Thank you, Dr. Seekine. Well, thank you. I enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> Me too. Have a great day. <laughs>